Would you take your scriptures and turn with me from, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, we'll be reading the entire chapter. Ephesians 4. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, this, he ascended, what does it mean, but he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the emptying of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body from the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, in testifying the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and has been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who is need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart truth to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. 
Your statutes, O Lord, are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure. They enlighten our eyes and guide us into the truth. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We will delight ourselves in your commandments, which we love. Please, O Lord, take the words of this passage we looked into this morning and guide us into the truths of its depth. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to understand its commands. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This letter to the Ephesians deals with the church. Paul has laid out the doctrinal understanding of the church in the first three chapters. In this first part of chapter 4, he has dealt with the idea of unity amid diversity. Now he turns his attention to a very important aspect of what the church is all about, the renewal of men and society. This renewal, as Paul presents it, implies a basic change, a detachment from the present world which all the members of the church had previously served. It also speaks clearly of an new attachment to Jesus Christ as both Lord and Savior. It shows this through the putting of but the idea of putting on the new self and putting off the old self. What we will see is that throughout this section, 417 through 610, there is an emphasis on being spirit-born and totally transformed. The message Paul brings is, be done with old life and adopt the new life. He shows the clear difference between these two lives. He urges that falsehood be replaced with speaking the truth that sinful anger be swapped for self-control, that generous sharing be substituted for stealing, that corrupt speech be exchanged for edifying words, that bitterness and wrath be overturned for kindness, tenderness, and love, that filthiness and coarse talking be removed in favor of expressions of thanksgiving. This section could be broken into two sections. In the first, he gives some general admonitions and then gives to some very specific instructions to various groups. He shows through these instructions just how extensive this renewal is to be. Wives must respect their husbands and not undermine them. Husbands must love their wives, not hate them. Children must obey their parents, not mock them. Fathers must not provoke their children, but raise them tenderly with discipline and in the admonition of the Lord. Employees must render service to the Lord, not men. Employers must treat their employees with respect and due consideration, not harshness. Paul knows that this renewal is going to be both strenuous and continuous. He also knows that it will be hard on each and every one taking to fulfill these commands. You might, even as, as it is, is a kind of daily conversion for each believer. The most important thing to keep in mind as we look at these things is that throughout the process, it is a work of the Holy Spirit. You must always remember it will only be through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that the believer will be enabled to succeed in this transformation. This is a transformation, or you could say a sanctification into full glory. It is truly something less than a change from dismal darkness into glorious light. Paul has been very careful to teach about the unity of the church and its importance. 
He has shown us our need for unity with Jesus Christ and how without that unity we cannot claim to be one of God's children. He expanded that to show the need we have of unity with one another as believers in Jesus Christ and how without that unity we have no place in the kingdom of heaven. He now begins this section to show that it means to, what it means to come into unity with Jesus Christ and with one another. So many in our day want to downplay the responsibility of the individual. We understand that salvation is not something we earn from God, and thus we have no responsibility in coming into salvation. However, we very much see that once we have been given such a great gift, we have a responsibility to be obedient unto God, the God who has given us the gift, not to earn from him anything but to show our appreciation. In the passage we read this morning, we find the apostle begins with a call to the new life. He first points to the right thinking that is produced by this new life. Second, he reminds of the emptiness of the old life. Third, he shows the way into this new life. And last, he speaks about the change this new life will bring. Conversion, as we stated last week, means the beginning of a new life. It is not the end of the Christian life. It is simple. It is the first step into that life. Verse 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. When we study this verse in the context of all that has gone before, we gain five important truths from it. The first truth we learn is that we must apply the truths we learn from our study of doctrine. Paul says, this I say. What he is saying is all the doctrine he has already laid out has given the foundation of the church and the Christian life. His desire is that you see the importance of God's word. The one truth I would like to get across to you more than any other is the sufficiency of scripture. God has given his word as the only truth we ever need. In that word, we find everything we needed to live our lives before him in a pleasing way. What we see happen with a lot of people is that they come along and see the word as being too broad and thus they begin to add things to it to make it more narrow. They don't accept the idea that God is sovereign and has given the perfect plan for your lives in his word. We would call those who do this legalist. They add many rules and regulations not found in scripture. On the other hand, we have people who see scripture as being too narrow and they want to loosen it up. So they begin to see ways around the clear commands of scripture. We call these people liberals. Both of these ways are in error. We as believers in Jesus Christ are not to trust in him and his word as it is given. I think I put a knot in that that didn't belong there. We as believers in Jesus Christ are to trust in him and his word as it is given. We are called to study that word, to derive our doctrines from life, from it, and from it alone. When the scripture speaks, we're to listen and do only what it tells us to do. 
The second truth we learn is that Christianity is all-inclusive. Our doctrine does not just apply to us when we enter the church. It is all-inclusive of our lives. It speaks to every area of our lives. I'm afraid that in our day, much of what we see as Christianity does not measure up to this. Far too many come to church on Sunday morning speaking the language and dressing the part, but on Monday, you can't tell them from the rest of the world. This is why Paul adds, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. Paul's already shown that we as believers in Jesus Christ are spirit-filled. The Spirit is not in us only while we are at church or on Sunday. He is with us seven days a week. He is in you to mold you into the image of Jesus Christ. Christ's image is not selective when it comes to changing you. You are to be made in every area of your life like unto Christ. The third truth we learn is that Christianity cares about me personally. The liberals and legalists want to make Christianity a code that is forced upon us so that we become stiff in our conduct and lives. I know some of you have been involved in other denominations where there were such legal requirements you felt smothered or imprisoned. True Christianity will free you as nothing else ever could. Paul says all of this is to make you a part of the Lord. It is to make you feel the Lord, free the Lord, make you free in the Lord. The greatest freedom any man could ever have is to be free to live his life as he was created to live it. This is what Paul is calling us all to do, to live our lives as God made us in service to him, to live our lives in the freedom to be what God wants us to be, to exercise the gifts he has given us. You are not called to be a carbon copy of me, I'm not called to be a carbon copy of Charles Spurgeon. We are free, free to be what God has gifted us to be. In that freedom, we're to go forth and serve God and our fellow man. Your service is the fulfillment of those works prepared in advance for you to do. These are the gifts we spoke about last week. They are gifts you give to God, to his church and to others. These are not things you do not you do to earn God's grace. You can't earn God's grace. They are gifts of love and appreciation for all God has done for you. These are the testimonies of God's grace in your life. You do them out of the grace and mercy of your heart. The fourth truth teaches how important doctrine is in guiding us in our freedom. Paul says that you should no longer walk as the dressed of the Gentiles walk. The Gentiles live their lives according to the lust of their flesh. As believers, you have been something far better. You are given something far better to base your life on. It is the word of God. This takes us back to a point I like to make often. Christianity is a religion that requires you to think and study. You have to study God's word in order to be able to apply the truths it teaches to your life. You cannot call yourself a believer and sit on your backside and not learn what it is you are called to do in this new life. The fifth truth is found in the believer's glorification. 
Christianity has a final goal in mind for you as a believer, and that is the glorification of God. God will be glorified by that life of each and every believer. How is this going to happen? It happens because there is a change in each believer. Paul says believers no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. Gentiles, even, even when they see the power and the glory of creation, that there is a God. They reject such knowledge because they want to glorify themselves. Once the Holy Spirit comes into a heart, opens that heart to hear the truth of God's word, there is a change, a change started in that heart that shall not end until that person is brought in the fullness of the measure of Jesus Christ. This all transpires through the study and contemplation of the truths of God's word. It happens as you learn true doctrine and see yourself in the light of all God has said about man and himself. It makes you grow as you apply these things to every situation you face in life. Not just to your conduct on Sunday, but also on Monday through Saturday. The scripture makes plain in many places the emptiness of life apart from God. The doctrine of the total depravity of man Man on his own without sin, without the spirit of God within, has absolutely no worth in and of himself. He has nothing, nothing with which to approach God. Yes, man was created with worth before God. He was made to serve as God's vice regent and to be the crown of all of the creation. But in his rebellion, he lost all worth and became of no value whatsoever before God. Throughout the scriptures, you hear about man's sinful condition. Paul speaks of the condition of man in verses 18 through 19. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the righteousness that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. They're darkened in their understanding. They cannot comprehend the truth of God's word. They have hardened their hearts to the truth. They have rebelled against God, and he has allowed them to go their own way. This, my friends, was your own state until God, by his grace, changed your heart. Paul says in verse 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. This is what you were before God saved you. You now have hope and you have a bright future. It is extremely important that you continue to search your heart as a believer and that you remember from what you were saved. That you remember what it required for you to be saved. Remember, last week we said conversion is not an end unto a means. It is a new beginning of a new life. You have entered that new life by the grace of God through the work of Christ. You are to always be looking back as well as ahead to his glorious return. When we serve the Lord's Supper, the message is what you were saved from and what you were saved to. We are constantly called to self-examination. Why? Because we are sinners saved by grace and the work will not be complete until Christ comes and takes us home to be with him. 
until he has removed this old sinful flesh and replaced it with a perfect sinless flesh. Paul explains in verse 18 why it's so needful for us to constantly be in this attitude of self-examination. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts. This is the heart of the problem. The sinful nature is never satisfied with anything and is always seeking a new thrill. This is what we have been delivered from. But the thing you must remember is that the delivery is not yet completed. The whole purpose of this fourth chapter so far has been to show you that you are in a growth process as a believer. Is that not a wonderful hope? Is that not something you can really get hold of and hang on to? He's making sure that you remember what you are growing away from. I run into so many people who want the conversion process to be the end of everything in their lives. They see it as they're having arrived and they are now secure in their new spiritual state without having to ever concern themselves again and with remembering the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that terrible? This is a great and tragic mistake. You are not washed once in the blood and that's it. You are constantly being washed in the blood. This blood is a fountain that is ever cleansing your sin. Zechariah 13.1 teaches, In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. In Revelation 7.17, the fountain and its location is revealed to us. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to the living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In 1 John 1, 8 and 9, we're told, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That purification and forgiveness comes from the fountain in the midst of the throne, the eternal fountain of Christ's blood. It is to this fountain that we are constantly called to come to remember both the place from which we were saved and the state to which we have been promised access. While Paul continually reminds us from where we have come, he also continually reminds us where we can go in Christ Jesus. He is the hope of every believer. He begins by telling us the way. Verses 20, 21. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. In verse 20 he says, But you have not so learned Christ. Let me give you a paraphrase of the more literal translation of this verse. You did not learn Christ so as to continue to live as the Gentiles are doing. To learn Christ is to learn about Christ. Paul again makes it plain in this that Christianity is a religion that requires you to think and study. Paul shows that the appropriation of Christ and the salvation in him is always the result of a learning process. 
This process includes both the heart and mind. Your salvation begins with a single work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. But it, it is not complete, guaranteed yes, but not complete. You're not completely transformed at salvation. Yes, there was a basic change wrought at once by the power of God. But there is also a continuing need for a continual change. This is the way into salvation. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. You must hear the gospel message. You must believe it with all of your heart. You must hear the gospel message over and over and over again. Then you must be open to be taught the whole message brought from the Father by Jesus Christ. That men are lost, helpless, and hopeless in and of themselves. Jesus Christ was sent by the Father to save his people from their sin. That he came and lived the perfect life they could never live for themselves. That he died and shed his blood as an atonement for the sins of his people. That he fought with the enemies of God and defeated them so that those called by the Father could hear and believe. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. He is, by, he is all of that, and once the Holy Spirit has opened your heart and shown you the light, he gives you the responsibility to study and learn the great depths of these truths. So that through that learning, study, you grow in your salvation. Once you have been led to the new life and it started to grow by your study, there is definitely some changes that begin to happen. Verses 22 through 24. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. This Christian walk is a constant change. You are called to turn off, turn from the one thing to something new, to put off the old and take on the new. The heart of this process of change is going to be the work of sin searching your heart. He says you have been taught to put off the old self. You are asked to remember from where you came and to constantly be throwing out all the old ideas and ways of that life. This will be a life prolonged process, a process you will be in as long as you have the old flesh. Paul understands that. Listen to what he says about this old flesh, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. He sees this corruption as an ongoing thing in your flesh. That is why he is making such a big deal out of continually reminding you, you, reminding yourself of what you were and continue working at learning more and more of Christ. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Your salvation is not dependent on your works. It is God's work alone that saves. Now it seems at times to be contradictory when we talk about salvation as a process and you having responsibility in it. Paul is calling you to do something here, take off the old and put on the new. It sounds very much like a work 
And that very well could be because it is a work. It's a work of faith. It is one of those works prepared in advance for you as a believer to be engaged in. This is how you can know that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. As you examine yourself, do you see the results of this work? This taking off the old and putting on the new? You could never be, you could never do this work unless the Holy Spirit had first enabled you to do it. It is the power of the word of God in your heart that makes the changes, not anything within you. The taking off of the old is the turning away from the ways in which you used to live as an unregenerate man. The putting on of the new is living in more and more obedience to God's word. Listen to Paul. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. He began this section with the call to right thinking, thinking that is guided by the word of God. The promise of the new covenant is a new heart and new spirit. Once these are given, the focus changes from self to Christ. No longer are you to listen to the lust of the flesh, which Christ died to overcome. But now you are to listen to his word, which was given for his people. What is this new self going to be like? It will be created in the image of Jesus Christ. It will live in true righteousness and holiness, for it will be a student of the word of God and the life of Jesus Christ. So, the change we're talking about is going to be a radical change. It will move at different speeds and different people. Not everyone learns at the same rate. But the one thing you can be sure of, everyone who belongs to Jesus Christ, they are a work in progress. There will be ups and downs, even regressions at times. But in the end, the progress, the, the prog progress will be clear. You will see a putting off of the old life and a putting on of the new life. This new life will be a life of obedience to God's word. As the word is subdued, as the word is studied, it will affect every area of one's life. As you undertake the self-examination process, you will begin to notice some changes. The old sins will be defeated and new sins will come into view. These new sins will require more study to overcome, but they too will be defeated. This is what Paul is speaking of when he says you must put off the old and put on the new. I hope everyone here this morning understands this process and engages in self-examination. If you do not, then I ask you to listen and to listen very closely. Jesus Christ has been sent into this world to save his people from their sins. Who are his people? Anyone who will hear his message and believe on him and his work. If you have heard his call and do believe, then you need do but one thing. Begin studying his word and let its power change your heart and mind and let that power guide you into his service to his people and to his church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful grace you have shown to your people. We know you have loved us because from the beginning you chose us to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. You called us to this through your gospel, 
that we might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So help us, Father, to stand firm and hold to the teachings you have given us. May, your, may our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father, who has so loved us by his grace, give us courage and comfort along with hope. May he strengthen our faith and build our knowledge and help us to grow in our good deeds and works. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.